We are getting near to the back of the book of Zechariah in the home stretch. This morning we will be looking at chapter 11. Zechariah is the second last book in the Old Testament. And as we have gone through this book of Zechariah, the second half of it has shown us more and more the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically this morning we're going to look at the good shepherd the shepherd of God's people. If you please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. Zechariah chapter 11. Open your doors, O Lebanon that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs. One I named Favor. The other I named Union. And I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, and I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor, and I broke it annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages thirty pieces of silver. The Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, 
or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. O Lord, our God, Lord, we ask this morning that You would show us that great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. That You would remind us, O Lord, that we are but sheep. That You would show us from Your Word that You indeed care for Your sheep and that You have done so in Christ Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, we have come now in this second half of Zechariah's prophecy to a series of texts that describe for us the coming kingdom and, more importantly, the coming King, our Lord Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 11, we have a dramatic unfolding of the shepherd. We see two types of shepherds of God's people. First, we are exposed to a dirge against the false shepherds. And then secondly, we see a drama of the good shepherd play out. We see false shepherds and the true shepherd. Let's begin then by looking at this dirge against the false shepherds. Now, if you don't know what a dirge is, I'll take a moment to explain it. Of course, it begins with the letter D, which as a preacher helps you with our second point, which also begins with the letter D. But in this case, a dirge is very appropriate because it is a poem or a song at a funeral. It is a sad song of judgment that it comes upon the false shepherds. And that's exactly what Zechariah opens up with. Now, before we look at the poem itself, let's try and recall here the history of where we are and the drama of how this will unfold before us. First, if we think about the history, you may recall that Zechariah was actually someone who came from a priestly family. He was a prophet from a family of priests. And he had seen the return of God's people to the promised land and had seen the temple construction begin. As a result, he was called by the Lord to prophesy to God's people to encourage them in the work of building the temple, in the work of gathering God's people together, reuniting them in the promised land. By this point, he had seen the completion of that temple. Now, all of this had been a whirlwind of events and occupations. There were so many things that have gone on. We have seen so many of them in the visions that Zechariah has brought to us. But there's more to this story than the completion of the temple. You know, I think we like to believe that everything, every story ends with, and they all lived happily ever after. It's the reason why at the end of movies, 
The husband and wife kiss and it fades to black. And we don't see the arguments the next day. We don't see the unpaid bills the next month. It's happily ever after and we're done and it's tied up with a bow. But the difficulty for us is we realize that life isn't about happily ever after. Life is a series of challenges in which we seek the Lord and seek to be faithful in our obedience to Him. And we constantly are faced with challenges and difficulties because, you see, the problem is not the circumstances. The problem is sin. And as long as sin is among us, there will be no happily ever after. We need to be rid of sin in order to follow the Lord faithfully and to come into His midst. And so now years have gone by, perhaps even several decades from what we were looking earlier at in this book of Zechariah. And a change has come. But it's not the kind of change that we would want. It's not even perhaps the kind of change that we would have expected. The change that has come is that godless leaders are now in charge of the people of God. The rulers have turned their back on God. And they are seeking their own benefits, their own wealth and power. And and this shouldn't surprise us. There's actually a saying that we use where we say, everyone is a believer in God in a foxhole. And that's because when you're in the foxhole and the bullets are flying over your head, you are willing to promise anything to God as long as he keeps you safe. And you become devout in the midst of those challenges and difficulties. But the problem is, is that when the bullets stop whizzing, and life gets back to normal, we slide into the same patterns that we normally have. I saw this myself, perhaps you had this same experience after the attacks on 9-11. There seemed to be a great revival about to break out in the land as prayer meetings were held in churches across the country where people talked about God and their need for Him and there was hope that the church would revive in the midst of this. And then in about six months, many people started to forget about that. By the time a year or two had gone by, there was no more talk of revival. There was no more increased emphasis on God. Life had gotten back to normal for most people. This is the history that we're faced with. But there's also a drama that God puts before us here in this chapter. The drama is that the prophets are the spokesmen of God. And they spoke in such a way to get the people's attention. Often they would do this by speaking shocking words, words that were offensive to men's sensibilities, ways in which they would be drawn to see the truth of God's word. Sometimes they would press God's demands on the people, remind them of the punishment and judgment that was to come. The prophet's task was to call people to wake them up out of spiritual slumber. But they also were called to do dramatic acts. And this is where I, as a preacher of the gospel, am very grateful for the discontinuity between the Old and New Testament ministries. Because I am glad that I am not called to such dramatic acts. 
You may recall the prophet Hosea was told to marry an unfaithful woman to show the relationship between God and Israel. You may recall that the prophet Isaiah was told to walk around for three years completely naked to point out the judgment that was to come on Egypt. The prophet Ezekiel was told to lay on his side for an entire year to draw attention to the idolatry of Israel. You see, the prophets were told to act these things out in such a way to gather people's attention. And that is what we have here. Zechariah is going to act out the role of the shepherd. He's going to show us what a bad false shepherd looks like and then show us what a good shepherd looks like. But first, before he does this, he sings the funeral dirge. We see this in verses 1 through 3. This is a lament, and it is a lament for the leaders of Israel. There are at least, I think, two classes of people that are described by reference to the trees and the surrounding nature of the area. The first is the class of merchants, those who handle the money. And they were the ones who exploited the people of God for their own personal gain. All they cared about was wealth. Second, there was a class of politicians, and they allowed the merchants to do this so that they could get their own ill-gotten gains off the people's backs. And instead of protecting and nurturing the people of God, they exploited them. They slaughtered them. Look at what Zechariah says in verse 5. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. Now, the Hebrew here is actually very vivid because the pronoun them here is feminine. So in a sense, we're talking about female sheep. Now, I don't know how much experience you have with cattle or with herds or with sheep, but I can tell you that what you do not normally do is take female animals and slaughter them for food. Because you use female animals to increase the herd. They are the ones that are bred and that bear more young. And so what we have here is an exceedingly short-sighted device, simply for comfort, money, and power. And it's accompanied by a false sense of piety. Look at what those who sell say. Blessed be the Lord. I have become rich. I want to tell you that the most dangerous place that you can be in is when you have convinced yourself that you are right. That's what they're doing here. You see, there's a a false piety What they're saying is, is that success is equal to holiness. Do you see that? I'm blessed by God because I'm rich. If I weren't rich, I might not be blessed by God, but the money that I have is evidence that God has blessed me. Now, this is an age-old problem for the church, and it is even found throughout the world today. It is perhaps one of the most significant problems in world missions today. As 
churches and believers in what is called the global south, Africa, South America, and Asia, seek to follow the Lord and follow His will in His word. And so-called missionaries come from America and from Europe and other advanced nations, so-called, and they tell them that they need to change the way they think about the Bible. That they need to change the way they think about God's law. That they need to abandon their belief in what God has said is true. And the reason that they say they need to do this is because we have the money. It's obvious we're successful. You need our money. God is blessing us. You must listen to us. Praise be to God, there are firm believers in these churches and in these nations that have told these so-called missionaries, take your money and get out of here. We have Jesus. You see, so often we equate success with holiness. It's even found everywhere in America today under the so-called prosperity gospel. Ministers saying that they speak the truth and the way you know they speak the truth is because God has given them a Learjet. That's how they know they're a prophet of God. Because if they weren't a prophet, God wouldn't have given them a jet or a Bentley or a Cadillac. I'm not making this up. You see, those are egregious examples. But that can sneak into our own hearts too, can't it? We think we're following the right path for our family because the bills are paid on time. And because we're advancing lockstep in our promotions at work. And because there's harmony among siblings. We think we've been successful and therefore God must be blessing us. But the truth of the matter is we need not look to our success. We must look to God. We must look to the Lord and to His Word. Because you see, what was seen as success here in the promised land was judged by God. This is what the first three verses say. O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. You see, these are trees that are the pride of all of the promised land. The cedars of Lebanon were famous as being the most magnificent of trees in the area. Perhaps you will recall that even today, the flag of Lebanon has what right in the middle of it? A cedar tree. Do you remember when Solomon was building the temple, where he went for construction materials? To the cedars of Lebanon. You see, these are the greatest things, the most successful, the most obvious and powerful, and God says, they will burn before me in judgment. He says these glorious trees, this thick forest, these lions that roar, all will be melted away before the judgment of God. And it's a a judgment and a destruction that comes down from the north. You see it coming down through Lebanon and then Bashan and then Jordan. And I think this here is where Zechariah is giving us a window into the future, much like he did in chapter 9, as he described, you may recall, the campaigns of Alexander the Great. Well, this campaign will not happen now, but it will come some centuries from now. 
when the Roman armies will come down from the north after the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, after our Lord had warned Jerusalem that it would be the subject of judgment, the people of God bickered among themselves and they wanted power and control and they waged a guerrilla campaign against the Romans and they set themselves up as authorities in the various cities, but they couldn't even get along with each other. They fought over control over Jerusalem. There were at least three factions and they couldn't then understand how they could negotiate with the Romans. Now, if you don't know anything about the Romans, they don't take very kindly to rebellions. And so the Roman army under Vespasian came down from the north, destroying the promised land, recapturing towns until they made siege around Jerusalem. And what happened in Jerusalem is exactly what Zechariah describes. He describes it here in verse 9. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. You see, the Israelites were bickering within the city. They did not seek the Lord. They were disobedient to Him. And the Romans destroyed them. They killed the soldiers. They destroyed the people. And those who were left in the siege actually committed cannibalism because there was no food to eat. Exactly as Zechariah says. But this was not geopolitics. This was not about Rome. This is the judgment of God upon a people that have turned their backs upon Him. You see, there is a responsibility that comes with authority. You cannot treat the flock of God with indifference. And that's what the leaders of Israel were doing at this time. They used the people as a means for personal gain. And when we act that way about others, we expose ourselves to judgment. This is why James warns us not to be too eager to be teachers in the church. Now, if you stop and think about that for a moment, you say, well, why wouldn't anyone want to be a teacher? It's a position of authority. People get to see you. People have to listen to you. Why wouldn't you want that? James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with the greater strictness. That's why. There's a responsibility that comes with the authority that is given over the people of God. And so while we are talking here about merchants and politicians and Israelite leaders, there is an application for you and for me. For every officer in the church, there is an application to put the benefits and the blessings of the people ahead of your own. For fathers in families, there is an obligation to support your family. For leaders in the community... There is an obligation to look to the welfare of those who are under you. And so what we have here is Zechariah then showing us a picture of what this looks like, a drama. He is told to act out the part of the foolish shepherd. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd, 
For behold, I am raising in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even the hoofs. You see, Zechariah is to show that false leaders do not care for the people. They don't try to heal or to help. Instead, they exploit and feed on them. And the truth is that the end of such is destruction. But this destruction does not just come here to the leaders. It also comes to the people. Do you see this? The lament is not just for the leaders or the shepherds. It's also to the people. Because they are judged as well. Now this at first glance strikes us as odd because... After all, the problem the people have is the way the leaders treat them. And yet, Zechariah tells us that this flock is doomed to slaughter. They are under the gun as well as it is. And in verse 6, God even tells us that He will not have pity on the people. Now, what does this mean? I think the picture here we have is not of a group of leaders acting in a vacuum. You see, what we tend to think is that people are exploited by their leaders. That people are innocent. And somehow, bad leaders become in charge and they exploit them. But the truth here is that the people of God here were not clamoring for God. If they were upset, it was because they're not in charge. That they weren't able to benefit. You see, the people actually wanted leaders of this type. They wanted leaders who were successful. Who were powerful. And as a result, they distanced themselves from God. They got the shepherds they deserved. When you think everything is about success and power, lo and behold, you have people over you that the only thing they care about is success and power. And surprise, there's pain that comes from that. And it's interesting here that God does not come to their rescue. You see, we might expect... God to punish the leaders in order to help the people. But instead, what God says is, He is going to deliver the people over, in verse 6. The land will be crushed, and He will deliver none from their hand. And this tells us something about God. That God is gracious and merciful and long-suffering. But there is an end to His patience. And as we flee from Him, and as we turn our backs on Him, and as we disobey Him, there is a judgment to come. And do you know what is the worst thing that God can do to you? The worst thing that God can do to you is to leave you to your own devices. This is what Paul puts forth in Romans 1. He says in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies, 
Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, He gave them up to a debased mind. You see, when God withdraws His transforming grace, when we are left to our own devices, we fall into wickedness and sin and judgment. Now, this seems obvious on a practical level. If you have ever had opportunity to leave a group of young children, perhaps between 8 and 12, alone for a while in the home, I'm going to tell you something. You don't need to tell them to eat the cookies and the ice cream. They just will. You don't need to tell them to be sure to mess up the house. They just will. When they are left to their own devices, that's what happens. But in the world of spiritual things, this is far more dangerous. If we are left to our own spiritual authority, our own spiritual efforts, we fail miserably. Sin grabs our heart and draws us even farther from God. This is a part of the judgment dirge against the shepherds. The second picture that we get is the drama of the good shepherd. We see this as Zechariah is told in verse 4, to become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. And what Zechariah is going to show us is the work of the good shepherd. Now in the midst of all of this judgment, we get this reminder. This is what the good shepherd looks like. We get this reminder of God's grace. The good shepherd is one who tends his sheep. We see this in verse 7. I tended the sheep. The good shepherd looks out for the weak. After all, this is not what the world does. The world exploits the weak. Doesn't it? The world doesn't care about the weak. But God does. And what a comfort that is. That we don't need to be strong for God. That God accepts us in our weakness. That He provides for us in our weakness. That He tends us. That He does not expect us to take care of ourselves. That He is a good shepherd that cares for us. He also feeds the sheep. The good shepherd wants the sheep to be healthy. And he does this at his own cost and pain. Think of how different that is from the false shepherd who feeds himself on the pain and suffering of the sheep. The good shepherd goes out of his way, carries his own burden and cost to make sure that the sheep are provided for. He wants them to have a good life. The good shepherd defends the sheep. We see this in verse 8. He protects them from enemies. He is vigilant and awake all of the time. A shepherd is a kind of a job where you have to sleep with one eye open. Because you always have to be vigilant in case predators come to attack the sheep. It is your job to protect them. That's why shepherds carry staffs. It's not to help them walk. It's to fight off predators. That's what they do. 
And Zechariah describes what he did in quick fashion. In one month, I destroyed the three shepherds. Now, who are these shepherds? If you're not sure, you're in good company. Because it's not really clear what person this could be. And I'm here to tell you that the commentators provide no less than 40 options of who they could be. You see, there is a real problem here. We're not sure who this is. But I think when we're not sure and we can't pin a label or a name on something in prophecy, rather than run to flights of fancy, we ought to use what we have and believe that God has intended it to be more general. And I think one thing that this could be speaking about is the entire structure of the leadership of Israel. Because you remember what the leadership is composed of. They're the same as the offices of our Lord Jesus. Prophets, priests, and kings. Now think about that for a moment. After the occurrence of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, are there any kings of Israel? No. Are there any more priests or a temple? No. And the Bible itself tells us that John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. So I think what Zechariah is speaking about here is that when the good shepherd comes, he will sweep away all of the opposition, all of the leadership that abuses God's people, and he will set things right. Zechariah tells us that he is a shepherd with two staves. The one he calls favor, and the other he calls union. And this was also very common among shepherds. One staff would be primarily used for defense. One staff would be primarily used to guide the sheep along the way, perhaps to hook them out of a bramble or a bush. He speaks of this staff favor. And this is the covenant grace of God. It is God's protection of His people. It is His grace upon them. And His staff union speaks of the union of Israel and Judah. We see this in verse 14. But the problem is not just the shepherds. The problem here is the people. Because even as Zechariah acts out before them, the drama of the Good Shepherd, showing what the Good Shepherd does, showing the work that he provides, the way he blesses the people, their response in verse 8 is to detest him. They want no part of him. They don't want the shepherd. They don't want to have a Good Shepherd to guide them and to bless them. And they place no value on the work of the shepherd. Look at this. In verse 12, then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. You see, what God is doing here through Zechariah is he's asking the people, put a value on my relationship with you. And they say, sure, 30 pieces of silver. Now, we might think that is a grand sum of money because silver is scarcer today. 
But 30 pieces of silver was the value of a slave set forth in Exodus. It was a paltry sum of money, especially compared to the worth of God and the work of the shepherd. And you can see the sarcasm drips from Zechariah. It is a lordly price. The Hebrew is very interesting. He calls it splendor of splendor. You can almost hear the sarcasm in his voice. And he says, throw it to the potter in the temple. I don't even want it. They value me so little. And the consequence of this rejection is that God's favor is abandoned from them. Zechariah takes the staff named favor and he breaks it. And he says, the covenant that God has made to protect you from all of the nations is no longer in force. And this will become true through Rome. Rome will come and conquer Jerusalem. And the people of God will be scattered to the winds. Never to recover. Now, I realize today that there is a nation in the world named Israel. But they have no king. They have no temple. They have no worship. They have been scattered forever. God's grace and favor has been broken. And the union has been lost. He snaps the staff union as well to remind the people who have abandoned him that they will now be marked by disunity and hostility. It's a reminder that we need the Lord to have peace. And we see this all over the world. There is hostility and war everywhere. Unless the Lord is acknowledged and worshipped, there is hostility and disunity. Now, Where can we have hope in the midst of all of this? This is a pretty depressing passage, isn't it? Talking about judgment coming on shepherds, judgment coming on people. This is often called, this chapter, one of the most difficult passages in all of the Old Testament. Academics especially struggle with it because they can't understand the meaning of where it is going. They don't see the hope or purpose in this passage. The hope is to be found in seeing the line between Zechariah 11 and the New Testament. And ironically, the hope is to be found in the 30 pieces of silver. The paltry sum that is thrown to the potter in the midst of the temple that is a sign of how little the people of God value their Lord. What seems to be a rejection and an insult is a place for hope because it takes us to Jesus. Matthew describes this in chapter 27. He says, Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for a potter's field, as the Lord directed me. You see, the hope that we find is that Jesus is the good shepherd. That Jesus is the one who provides for his people. 
We see this in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Jesus warns us against the false shepherds. He says they are thieves and robbers who come to destroy. They are hirelings. The true and good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't care only about himself. He cares about the sheep. And he brings them together in unity. He says, there are other sheep that I have that I will bring in to this sheepfold. All peoples and races are united in Jesus Christ. You see, our hope is that the judgment need not fall upon us. We are all guilty of abandoning God. We all seek the wrong kind of shepherds. But there is a hope of pardon and forgiveness. You see, because the great shepherd becomes the sheep to be slaughtered for his people. You have a choice today. You can continue in your own strength... You can seek success and power and you can reject the shepherd. Or you can come to Jesus and find the one who will feed you, care for you, and defend you. Jesus is the good shepherd. And Jesus will save you from yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you have given us this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that you have called us to follow after him. Lord, please show us that our value is found in the work of Jesus and the work that places value on us. Bless us this day as we seek to follow after him. This we ask. In Christ's precious name, amen.